Hello, Jews and wannabe Jews. This is Unorthodox, a weekly podcast from Tablet Magazine. I'm Mark Oppenheimer, joined as ever by Tablet Deputy Editor Stephanie Butnick. Hello. Hello. And senior writer Liel Leibowitz. USA! USA! <laughs> is there an Israeli chant like that? Yisrael El. It's Hatikva. Yisrael El. I'm sure there is, but I don't want to repeat it on the radio. Okay, got it's it. It's not... <laughs> It's um, NC-17. Our Jewish guests this week are the Khan brothers. Yeah, the, the Wrath of Khans. The Wrath. <laughs> the... At some point at the end of the interview, would you go, Khans? And our Gentile of the week is Goravani, who was born to Hare Krishna monks, but is now a well-known mantra musician. Good people. How was your Tisha B'Av? M- meaningful. <laughs> Stephanie, did you know it was Tisha B'Av this week? Yes, I work at Tablet, so I didn't know. Okay, so you didn't um, know that. It was on the schedule. Okay, We didn't it. have off for it. We didn't? It on, we don't take on? Tisha B'Av off? Nope, heathens. Liel, did you do it? Did My you... mother arrived for a visit, so the, the, the theme of destruction <laughs> da, da, was, da. Uh, was Which strong. is worse, destruction of the temple or your mother arriving for a visit? Or destruction of your summer. Well, you know, I've never seen the temple, so... <laughs> Um, according to that New York Times article, it never existed, right? That, that's correct. Um, you could say that any week, I feel like. <laughs> Leal would be like, yep. Yep. Um, so an interesting thing happened. I, I went to shul the other day because it was my grandfather's yard site. And even though you're only supposed to say Kaddish for your parent, I go for my grandpa because no one else does. Anyway, so I went because it was his yard site. And his yard site does fall on on Tisha B'Av. And normally it's like, I, I think I go at the end of Tisha B'Av, the, the Mariv service. And so I don't get the reading of Lamentations. I actually never heard the reading of Lamentations. I've never been to that service. But I went in the morning, a Sunday morning, and so they did, you know, they get about halfway through the service, and then they whip out these little pamphlets, and they turn out the lights, and everyone has to sit down on the floor, and and they start, you know, there's this rotation of people chanting the different chapters of Lamentations. And it was actually quite, it was quite beautiful. It was really kind of, it was really kind of amazing. I had no idea what was going to happen. Can you describe the sitting on the floor? We were in what's called the Daily Chapel, which has lots of, you know, chairs mm-hmm. and um, around some tables and stuff. And people get just got down off their chairs and oh. sat down on the floor, cross-legged. And is this what led into Habdala Yoga? My shul has some meditative yoga action, but there's it's never been fused into Havdala Yoga. It's not a, you know, it's a conservative play. It's not reformy. Sorry, I'm, I can't take this seriously for some reason. The destruction because, of the temple. No, the I can take that seriously, but like because you're a non-believer. I am a believer. I would like actually to now you say this, you say this, and it sounds like something I would like to go see. It was really quite beautiful. I mean, you have to you have to block off an hour for it, but it's it was really something. Liel, as a secular Israeli, when have you heard? Is it in adulthood that you've actually gone to? Oh yeah, a no, above no, 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 no. I've I've done this as a kid. You did. You yeah, guys yeah, went, but, but we went to the Kotel. I mean, because that's where you would do that. Is that yeah. where they do it? They oh, all gather the there. Kotel. There are t- tens of thousands of people. And who reads it? Who gets the honor? Uh, I think it's a, like a collective chanting. Oh, okay, but there's you not... definitely go to. I mean, if you're mourning the destruction of the temple here, you go to the temple. Yeah. yeah, and then, and this is frankly even worse for me because the temple was a long time ago, and I never knew it. But I know my dog JJ. I was at the vet yesterday, and um, JJ had this incredibly distended belly, and we took her to the, uh, the the animal hospital, and they did some tests, and she has some sort of tumor on her liver glands and her belly's just going to swell up for a while and then she's going to die. I hate to bring everyone down. But How just... are your daughters dealing with this? So it was interesting. Um, you know, I told them what the doctor told us. Just to be is... one daughter who's completely clinical, be like, okay. Um, no, in fact, that would be Ellie if it were. She does fine with like, in movies, like, so Bambi's going to die. Well, that's funny, right? Like, <laughs> <laughs> it's not a real, it's just celluloid. It's Little not a twerp real. It coming. God, I wish I had her to like with me when I watched those movies. Right. It's not a real Deer, it's just a TV deer. Oh, I, I was that kid. Um, 
The only know, movie I ever cried on was Brewster's Millions, where he's forced to spend a <laughs> lot of money. All the, or Richard I, Pryor I just to spend all the money. Crying. I was like, why are you doing it? Uh, they all were pretty shaken. I mean, I, I told them that what the doctor said, which is, you know, she may have a few days, she may have six months. We just don't know. It's a very rare kind of tumor. And um, Rebecca, I think, teared up a little bit. And Ellie, what she does when she's upset by something, she asks endless amounts of questions. So every two minutes for the rest of the day, she'd come up to me or Sid and say, okay, so how long does JJ have? And how do we know? How does the doctor know? And is it six months or is it like maybe five months? But maybe she'll get seven months. And we're just like, we don't know. And Ellie doesn't like uncertainty. I think pet pet death is like one of the, sa- I mean, for, for kids who don't actually have, have not actually dealt with, you know, beyond like grandparents, any real trauma, pet death is awful. Like I, I remember when my first dog, died, we had a bunch of dogs, Airedale Terriers. We've had like, Dog I, I trauma. Knew you, I knew you had gourmet dogs. Yeah, I we knew did. I knew you didn't but, like, have mutts. I just remember these this feeling, and you can't explain it to someone who doesn't have pets or didn't doesn't have dogs. They don't understand. But like, if, you, if other dog owners like do get it, well, that's a great Leonard Cohen line. You know, everybody has that sinking feeling, like their father or their dog just died. Really? Yeah. Which song? Everybody knows. Oh my god! But I think so... it will help your kids that they can physically see that something's wrong, because like that's what the doc. So the doctor said, "I'm I'm a doctor." Yeah. So the doctor said once JJ's really near the end, like in the last few days, and it might be time to euthanize her, the kids will get that they'll see that there's been a change, that JJ knows and that everyone knows. And I mean, my, I'm not worried about anything. It's just incredibly, incredibly sad because, you know, I had my dog before I had a wife or children or. Really? I mean, yeah. I got the dog as soon as we got the house. I was engaged to Sid, but she was still in Boston. And the dog was like my company in the house in New Haven. And uh, she's a good dog. Which is a good pooch. It's like the last relic of your bachelor days. I'm seeing a movie. I'm seeing a movie here. <laughs> Marley and um, All right. From Death to Life, Israeli supermodel Bar Raffaelli, who tweeted many pics of her baby bump along the way, finally gave birth to baby girl Liv Ezra. Who is already dumped by Leonardo DiCaprio three days later. Because <laughs> she got too old. <laughs> Liel, I was actually going to turn this one to you and say, what does the birth of baby Raffaelli Ezra mean for the Jewish people? I think we're fine. Like I think we're gonna be okay. Continuity. Continuity. I think birthright like Jewish applicants just soared. Future Nobel Prize winner Liv Ezra in Dallas. An Orthodox woman is suing the county because she says it reneged on a job offer in the sheriff's office once it found out that she was Shomer Shabbos and would have to leave early some Fridays. She wants a million dollars in damages, and the Dallas County Sheriff's Office says no way. The data manager is on call twenty four seven, and therefore this woman would not have been able to do the job. Interesting case. Yeah, oh, we should have should have some, someone who actually knows something about <laughs> about, about the, the law, law about the law to discuss. Can, anyway, can you discriminate against a person because well, you they can't you, do their job. Yeah, you can. Religious. Yes, you can discriminate on the basis of bona fide job qualifications. Yes, but you're supposed to make reasonable accommodations. Uh, the, the the question is, could they have made reasonable accommodations, or was she asking something unreasonable? Freaking data manager in Dallas. You, but it's at a police be... department. I mean, the thing is, the scary thing is now. I think a lot of jobs expect somewhat of a twenty four seven accessibility. Them. Fuck them. But, my but so I wonder if it puts Shomer Chavez people at a disadvantage, even ways like less severe than you know, this. It puts people at an advantage because they're the only ones smart enough to say, you know what, we're just tuning out yeah. for 24 hours. And but you it know is what? like Everyone those, should I've known do. people at law firms who if, they're, if their partner or whatever is or whoever they work for is Shomer Chavez, they, like, they get like a ton of emails on Saturday, like Saturday really? evening. If I were at a law firm, I'd be, the, I'd be Shomer Chavez oh, before you, the uh, fastest. Exactly. <laughs> like, my God, it's the only you walk Faster you'd, you'd at a be, prison or a be, law firm? You'd be, making, <laughs> you'd be making partner and the first thing you'd say is Shalom! Shalom! Shomer Chavez! And then when I'm caught for embezzling my client's money and I go to prison, I want the kosher plan. 
right? I like that you're just planning for the future. I'm planning like for that. the future. Um, in Rockaway, Queens, those cops who pulled over the Orthodox guy and his girlfriend as a stunt to help him propose, they're in big trouble, according Aww. to the New York Post. The incident is being reviewed by the NYPD, and based on preliminary findings, it will be referred to the proper unit for possible disciplinary action. No. I was rooting for those people. That was a nice Come little on. story. Come on. In the, in the Leibowitz administration, um, cops will have fun. Can well, I get a position in that cabinet? <laughs> yes, you can. Can I be like social chair? You Rush chair? Rush chair. <laughs> it ain't news of the Jews without some horrible anti-Semitic news from Belgium. The child rape capital of the world. We got to get the Jubador to do a song on that. Um, a retired high school art teacher entered the Iranians' famous Holocaust cartoon contest. And according to the Jewish telegraphic agency, Luke Dishemaker, from the city of Torhut, 60 miles west of Antwerp, accepted a special prize at the second international Holocaust cartoon contest in Tehran for his drawing of the words Arbeit macht frei over a wall with guard posts presumably comparing Israel's security border along the West Bank. I just like the wit with, and whimsy With of the gates people. of Auschwitz. What was the special prize? The creative spark. He didn't win? <laughs> so a staffer from the Belgian Jewish publication Regards, uh, that's the name of the publication, I like that. sent the school an email with the URL link, and he wrote, it must be a great pride for St. Joseph's Institute College <laughs> to be associated with the values Luke Duschmaker stands for, at which point the school director wrote back, I understand you find criticism on Israel's actions in the West Bank and Gaza unpleasant, but your consideration of it as anti-Semitic is exaggerated. Oh, Belgium, enjoy. Enjoy everything that's coming your way, going your from, way. from the Islamic State. No, I, I think that the <laughs> douchemaker's prize was that he was allowed into the hangar at four in the morning where Obama's ransom money was coming, and he was allowed to pick as much as he could carry in 30 seconds. He was like, here, take as much ransom, American ransom money as you can, and... Run away. Um, the seven labor Zionist summer camps of the Habonim Dror movement rewrote Hebrew this summer for their campers for gender neutral kids. They right. created new forms. So, for example, if you were a boy camper, you were Hanich. If you were a girl camper, Hanicha. But now you could be a Hanichol, a gender neutral camper. Good, good for um, them for having having such good priorities. And they all rewrote their bunk cheers. You know, I really I wonder sometimes how how did Hebrew manage for fucking five thousand years. Uh, without Hanichol. So thank you for coming and really making this a priority. But really, I think we should hear their bunk cheers because one of the, 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 the Nitzavim group used to I'm cheer. sorry, Mark, their bunk cheers? Like that's so cis-hetero-oppressive. We don't bunk cheer cheer? because that makes people who are not cheered at feel bad. So it used to be, we are the Nitzavim. If you will it, it is no dream. We? And now- We is exclusive of yeah. other people. And now it's, <laughs> it's uh, we are the Nitzavimot. If you will it, it is no dream boat. So Liel, this is your natal language. We are so sorry that we are alive. We don't know how we have survived. So do you, is, Liel, is there no part of you that thinks this might make some genderqueer kid feel better? Do I think it would make some genderqueer kid feel better? Sure. Do I think that there is a uh, strong and you know thoroughly misguided attempt at making this an enormous emphasis at the expense of other issues that should actually be addressed because they're real-world issues that affect the real world and not the hurt feelings of people? Yes. Do I think that Hebrew survived pretty well without Hanichol for 5,000 years? Yeah, I think it did. Do I think it needs Hanichol right now? No, I don't think it does. So you won't be working on the full gender-neutral dictionary that takes all the Hebrew words and holds them? I will not be holding <laughs> it, Is your 
problem like the language part? It's not like the inclusiveness at camp. Like I just want to. No, the inclusiveness at camp is wonderful. My problem is that this has really become the sort of parlor trick that you know the uber regressive left movement's playing right now. It's like, oh no, the most important thing is to find gender neutral pronouns. Women still earn seventy two cents on a man's dollar. Fucking fix that. Yeah, but Habonim drawer can't fix that. All they can fix is, right, is but the you pronouns. Know, but but but. This is to me, and they like hope it will spread to Israel. They sort said. of emphasis, yeah, but that they're going to pioneer kids, it at Habonim Dror and send it to Israel. That sends kids away thinking like the main emphasis of our era should be fucking transgender bathrooms. Like it should not be that. We have bigger concerns. Cure fucking cancer if you want to do something worthwhile. Do you? I think maybe you don't. Not don't understand, but underestimate the power of these like Jewish youth summer camp movements in the United States. Because like I think for a lot of American Jews, like these communities are where they first. They, that's like where they fostered their Jewish identity in a lot of ways. And I've discovered that a lot since being a tablet where people are writing, you know, like people have right. these affiliations. So let's, let's foster Jewish identity rather than worrying about gender and, and sexual preferences I think, because we have gender queer and G she because gay, straight, queer, like that's not enough. But like, I think that I don't think this is a bad seed to, to, to plant in young people right now. In, a, in Jews. I think it's a terrible seed to plant in young people. Can we stop planting think... seeds in young people, please? <laughs> this is creeping me out here. But So so this means Hudson and Lily will not be going to Habonim Drawer. Hudson and Lily will be going to whatever camp West Point offers. <laughs> the New York Military As Academy, I heard. Early, is... Yeah, they have the finest. Some <laughs> I think of the you get the Donald graduates. Trump scholarship. But at least they might begin working on their future Olympic sports. Uh, perhaps an Olympics roundup is in order. Ali Raisman, Ali Raisman, Ali Raisman. Um, she's apparently Jewish. Sorry, no, um, no, absolutely nope. not. No, but, and and on this we agree. Um, I I understand and appreciate the immense effort that it takes to be a world class gymnast. I am duly impressed, and in the case of Simone Biles, um, Biles, like absolutely mind blown by this achievement. But nothing that is a fucking scored sport should be at the fucking Olympics. I do agree. Sorry, with you. I've been on the record. Here's for here's the Olympics. Twenty years. The saying... Olympics is like a bunch of a bunch of people are gonna run. One of them is gonna get first to like a little rope. That person gets the medal. You're so Greek about it. You're so that's old it. School. That's how it should work. I know. I, I mean, that seems to be it one hurts. of our nation's biggest problems right now. Right. What is? You're like we shouldn't be discussing transgender bathrooms. We should be focusing, according to you, on fixing the Olympics. Look at this whole Ibtihaj Muhammad thing, right? Okay, so she's a, a young fencer, no doubt very talented. She won a medal, good. Now, um, there were massive calls to make this woman the flag bearer of the United States Olympic delegation. This was an op-ed in the Washington Post. It was, you know, in the Guardian, CNN, like a bunch of sort of like respected, established places. Uh, that would mean taking the honor away from the person who unseated Leonidas of Rhodes as the most accomplished Olympian in like 1900 or whatever years, right? Just because the accident of her birth deemed that she was a Muslim woman wearing a symbol of repression against women. Because it is politically correct and it looks good. At the same time, this woman, who I, again, know as your classmate, uh devoted her Twitter feed to the most rampant, uh, not just anti-Israel, but really viciously anti-Semitic um, propaganda and, and rumor spreading, like saying that Israel sterilized Ethiopians in order to you know, stop black people from procreating. It's just disgusting. This is not the symbol of hope. It's just people with a guilty conscience doing virtue signaling to be like, oh, no, no, we have the athlete with a hijab. It's the same mentality. Fuck it. You know who carries the flag? The best freaking athlete. That's it. The one who runs fastest to the rope. That's exactly right. The one who gets to the end of the pool first. 
Any defense of your former teammate, Stephanie? Sure. I I think that like we can pull up tweets on anyone from 2013 and like, you're right, but like she was tweeting Haaret stories. Like I think that there's like a bigger problem here. (laughs) That's that's more of an indictment to me. (laughs) I don't know. I mean, I think we should be celebrating athletes us, like without the whole I agree. other stuff. I agree, like, but, that, the but that's exactly what the, the I'd like the... to split the difference. I felt like enough of Phelps. I love Phelps, and yeah, he's he's, he's a genius. I mean, Phelps is our weed smoking champion swimmer. Like God bless Phelps. And like um, Ryan Lochte, who is our he's our <laughs> straight edge Ryan Lochte. Anyway, Can I we mean, stop over and say two words that I think really are the most important words that need to be say said about this Olympics. Katie Ledecky. One quarter Jewish. Is that where care. you were going with that? She is. Uh, uh, 100% it would have been enough. American yeah. greatness. Yeah. yeah. What a fucking athlete. Yeah. Can we get her on the show? Oh, my God. Let's Katie, if you're listening, Katie, let's you could have the whole hour. You could talk about whatever you want. <laughs> whatever you don't let athletes talk. Katie, they're if not, you want the show, you could have the show. Whatever paid, you want. They're not paid to talk. You know who is paid to talk is us. And we have upcoming live shows. September 19th, we'll be at the Jewish Community Center of New Haven with... Radio host Colin McEnroe and Lieutenant Governor Nancy Wyman, amazing. which is going to be amazing. amazing. And in fact, Jim Nabel is apparently writing a song about Lieutenant Governors for that show. That it does is, sound like a badass position. It yeah. does, yeah. yeah. Uh, October 27th, we'll be at Hebrew College in Boston. November 17th at Beth Zedek in Toronto. February 10th, Temple Israel in West Palm Beach. And a few weeks after that, we'll be wherever you are because one of you wants to bring us there. We don't come cheap, but we're a good value. Contact Alyssa Goldstein at egoldstein at tabletmag.com if you want to bring us to a community near you. I will be at the Lansing League Conference at Canuga Conference Center in beautiful Asheville, North Carolina, October 16th through 18th, talking about politics, religion, and the golden rule. Go to canuga.org to find out how you can see me. And I will be on my couch with my cat. Planning your wedding. Yes, yes. yes. And I'll be under the bridge where I live, usually. (laughs) Broadway comes to the 14th Street Y on Tuesday, May 21st. Join us at 7 p.m. for a conversation with cast members from Prayer for the French Republic, the Tony Award-nominated Best Play. Tony nominee Betsy Adam and fellow cast members Francis Benhamou, Ethan Haberfield, and Ari Brand will take part in a lively discussion moderated by the New York Times' Mark Tracy. They'll talk about the play's themes of Jewish identity, French culture, and Zionism in times of rising anti-Semitism. This event is part of 14Y's spring season of Jewish culture. As a Jewish community center, 14Y offers a variety of opportunities for people to discover, explore, and connect with Jewish life. Visit 14streetwide.org to learn more and purchase tickets to Broadway at 14Y. Our guest Jews this week are twins Jack and David Kahn. They first made national news in 2013 as students at Stuyvesant High School in New York City after Jack won the student union presidency, but was immediately disqualified for various campaign violations, including putting too many posters up on one bulletin board and emailing students to say that his opponent, quote, accomplished very little during his previous time in office. They took their case to the press, to the pages of New York Times and New York Magazine, who dubbed them the twin titans of Stuyvesant. They had previously attended the... Orthodox school Ramaz, but had transferred because Ramaz was low octane and they wanted more challenges. Is that right? Yeah, pretty accurate description. Yeah, it was pretty. It just wasn't. It wasn't. It wasn't challenging you. You just couldn't. I mean, it's a great school, but apparently get, not. You, though. you got to be surrounded by a school that's eighty percent Chinese with kids who are working that's as hard as they can. Right there, you don't. <laughs> 
You want to beat Shlomo. You want to beat. I like the way you just went right for it. You just you just think the Chinese were harder working. They did. I mean, they are. Our best friend Rishman from high school traveled two hours to get to school, two hours to get home. You know what I mean? That's who you want to compete. That's with. they're all really smart, but it's a different type of culture. I okay. should say to, to our listeners because this is this is Veda that we're looking at like two awesome Jewish Winklevoss twins vibe <laughs> going on here. It's fantastic. It's true. They're they're stunningly attractive you, and, and love this. Guys, really so take it love easy. This. Really chiseled abs. <laughs> uh, their yarmulkes are hand knit, they, and they've written a book. They've written a book called Millennials Rule, uh, which they wrote in between classes at Penn, where they both go to school, right? Yeah, Wharton. Uh, you know what? I don't play that. I don't play like what's your department at Penn. They go to Penn. Intra Penn snobberies, where the Wharton people think they're better than like the geology majors. That's, no, they are. They that's not my are. interest. But but oh. whatever. Like. Uh, I don't list my major when I talk about where I go to college, which I try not to do. He's actually right. We do tell people we go to Penn. And people are like, what do you study? I usually say computer science and finance. <laughs> Please finance. I, I want to talk first of, about the election. Uh, you mean the high school election? Yeah, of course. Yeah, yeah okay, okay. okay. Well, what do you get if you're student president? I mean, it's just a big school. There's just a lot to do. You run activities. You Basically, I mean, you think about it when you're talking about Stuyvesant, you're talking about citywide policy. So for example, one of the things we worked on was merit pay for teachers, right? This is a citywide issue. This is a national issue. And because we're at Stuyvesant, it's sort of the like epicenter of the debate. And so your side was? Against merit pay. Why? I actually believe in merit pay. I think we should pay teachers based on performance. The issue is that the implementation of the system in New York City right now has music teachers and PE teachers being rated based on how well students write English papers. Did you also have any part of your platform when you ran for student union president that involved pizza, or on, Fridays. pizza on Fridays or what sodas were in the soda machine? I did not. Because but that that's he did really campaign on having, you know, refilled toilet papers in the bathroom. So <laughs> oh, yeah, that was that was that was the big campaign promise. When you buy, buy refilled toilet paper, you mean toilet paper. This, I mean this, toilet this paper. is a public school. Let's remember that. <laughs> My wife went to Stuyvesant. I know, I know all about it. In fact, she used to say things like, oh, you know, I wouldn't have married you if you were like one of those debaters I went to high school with. Uh, yeah, we were those debaters. <laughs> yeah, so, like, that actually has come out of her mouth. So, I mean, Was it, by the way, understood that, that whatever school you go to, it's together? No. Well, they had to accept us both, first of all. So we, we put out our applications and we, we saw what happened. Was there a moment that one of you was like, dude, you know, like, history is really cool. Let's go, you know, liberal arts college in Vermont. We're the con twins. Yeah. Okay, important question. Is this just you guys? Like, are you super motivated? Do your parents like totally pressure you? Like, where, where did this come from? Because you guys seem very like yeah, I mean, you're entrepreneurial. Like 20 and yeah. you have a book out, right? Yeah, we just compete against each other a lot. Is that what it is? Is it twins? Like a twin thing? It's a twin twin thing. I think okay. when you're a twin, you can like stand out more and feel like more confident doing that. I think I see this a lot with other twins also. Hold on, Jack. Name three things that you're much better at than David. Chess, swimming, and uh, reading. David, three <laughs> things you're much better. Please say chess, swimming. <laughs> <laughs> um, so you have this book out called Millennials Rule. No, it's um, called When Millennials oh, Rule. Oh, it's called When Millennials Rule. It's like you're, you're planning to rule. How old are you guys now? We're 20. You're 20. So this is, for, this is your, your blueprint for change circa... 2028 or something, right? Circa like now. Circa. <laughs> now, so, you're well aware that for everyone uh, born after 1981, your generation is widely despised, the right? New York Times said there's a only one pastime that's more popular than Candy Crush and HBO. It's, it's bashing millennials. Putting, putting you down. Can you, why, why do you think that is? Why do you think alts like us hate you so much? 
because we love social media, we're Twitter drones, we love, we're glued to our phones. It's a different generation in terms of how we engage with the world. You realize you're also the generation having the least sex by far in like 80 years. Yeah, it's actually pretty depressing. Least sex, least drugs, and least alcohol. It's pretty funny. Actually. Was that high school for you? Do, do you see that? Do you see like less I fucking? Mean, and no, drinking? you don't see that on college. If you, if you show up to an average college campus, you know, people think there's like lots of sex, lots of drugs, lots of alcohol, but I guess... You know, there's just alcohol. You're saying that that the statistics are wrong. You're saying no, that I'm just saying that like, it's hard to it's hard to it's hard to think about statistics and reality as the same thing. A statistic is one global average, right? So think about you know Penn's campus, like that's just like one very small sample. And is there and fucking going on? There is fucking going on in Penn's I'm campus. I'm relieved to hear that. <laughs> so wait, what's the argument of this book? So the argument of the book is that the media is saying, you know, the Atlantic writing that millennials' political views don't make, make any sense. You have this millennial bashing. And our argument is that millennials are the single most educated generation in history and that they have really nuanced political opinions, which we talk about in the book and sort of go into what the millennial ideology is on politics. What I'm, is it? We call it radical realism. Um, it's this idea that millennials don't uh, subscribe to either the Democratic or Republican platform. I think we saw that with Ivanka Trump's speech at the Republican convention, where even the daughter of the Republican nominee wouldn't call herself a Republican. And that's the trend you see with millennials. And sort of we can go through given issues and what radical realism means on gun control or the environment or foreign policy. But the short version is it's not what you've seen in the past. So I was talking to a friend of mine the other day, and he said to me, look, I understand when people say I have special privilege to speak here because I'm black or I have special privilege to speak here because I fought in a war. But you know who doesn't have special privilege to speak is people who think that their expertise comes to them because they're super young. Because the point of being super young is you actually don't know shit yet. I mean, do you have a little bit of humility about the fact that like I can promise you that when you're 30, you'll look back on everything you said when you were 20 and think that was wrong? Or do you, do you not think that's going to happen? I just think it's not about deriving expertise from being young. It's about saying we went out, did the homework, found the data, Literally. talked to people, <laughs> right? And like came back and said, here are the answers that we got from that. Do I think they're all correct? Probably not. I think when we sat down and did the research for the book, it was about here's a question that's unanswered. Let's go answer this question, right? So take me take me to the first 100 days of the Khan administration. First, be co the first twin president, which you know will happen because we it's all Wait, identity politics. Wait, can we politics. find that movie? Twin president. Twin president. <laughs> you know, first 100 days of the Khan administration, we start by passing gun reform, probably the easiest issue to actually resolve in terms of tangible compromises. Universal background checks get passed on day one. The second issue we choose to address is college debt because that's our demographic, that's our base. Um, this is what millennials care about. So we allow people to have debt-free college education, which empowers young people to rise to the middle class. Uh, and the third issue we choose to address is jobs. And we focus on outsourcing. We focus on globalization. And we focus on innovation. And we talk about reducing regulations that will allow people to innovate more. We talk about um, encouraging foreign companies to keep jobs in the United States by making the tax code simpler. You got Leo's vote. Don't no, I don't agree with all these things. Uh, what did you decide to write a book? I think we came. We four years ago, we sat down and we said, "Look, we've seen these millennials. We've talked to them. We understand that these political views are radically different from the views everyone else sees. And all the media wants to talk about is, oh, these people are so dumb. But in a few years, the media is going to sit down and have this oh shit moment where they realize that this dumb generation they're making fun of yeah, that you guys are in charge has taken over. And that oh shit moment happened like last week, right? 2016 election, one third of voters are millennials. Millennials will decide whether Hillary Clinton or Donald Trump is the president of the United States. So, terrifying. Lord, Lord help us all. <laughs> uh, let's, let's play this game in reverse. What do you think of us? 
you know what kind of show this is. We 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 don't hold back. Yeah, say whatever tell you us, want. Tell us whatever the fuck you really feel. And I think older generations ha- are screwing over our generation. I don't think it's malicious. I think older generations uh, made progress from where they took over, right? Now that that generation has become the older generation, they're the conservative generation, and we're the generation that's pushing for even more progress. No, you need to be more specific. Tell us five things that you really fucking hate about us. Uh, I mean, number one, debt, right? It's not our hairstyles. Yeah. It's not, it's Why are you going to debt? Mom jeans. Is there anything about the past you're like, oh, it'd be cool to live then? Mm. Not really. I, I think you know. I think it's, we love this. We love this kind of the Twitter, best is all Facebook. right now. This is yeah. it, man. This we're is living. It. We're living in the greatest time. I was, on the, I was on the train coming here, and I ran into my friend from high school who is working on machine learning classifiers. And you know what he said to me? He said to me, "You know, it's it's weird working in an industry where you realize how unspecial we are." I think that like. I don't know, living at a time like this where our friends are doing really cool things, like trying to create robots that can see better than humans can, like that's awesome. Dude, that's that's a millennial credo there. Yeah, we're awesome. I have an important question. Do you guys have any siblings? We do. And Maybe. do they get a word in edgewise at the well, dinner table? Well, he's the boy genius, so. <laughs> we have a younger brother. Yeah. Oh my God. What's Just his graduated name? from Ramaz. What's his name? His name's Daniel. Is he going to Penn? He's going to King's College in London. Is studying philosophy so that he Whoa. can under, yeah so that he can be a part of the world when the robots take over and explain how humans can have a role in society. Oh my god, so, I'm so scared right now. By the way, when you're running for office, what party are you running under? No party. No Millennials party. don't believe in political parties, right? <laughs> <laughs> so, final question: um, You guys are half Syrian, half Ashkenazi, <laughs> right? Now, I had a friend in college who was a Syrian Jew who said that it was an enormous fight with her parents to even get to go to elite liberal arts college because her parents just wanted her to go straight into the family shmata business. That's the one Jewish community in the world where like higher education was sort of like, eh, there's no money in that. Was there a little of that from your mom's side or I, were they psyched that you guys were going to Trump's alma mater? I think that's changing. Yeah, I think I think Syrians, more and more Syrians are going to college now. We have a lot of Syrian friends at Penn and at Princeton and at Harvard. Your parents are intermarried. It's a Syrian Jew marrying a non-Syrian Jew. That doesn't happen very often. No, I guess not. Pretty controversial. Pretty uh... Guys, um, you're, you're our future. You we are our future. You. The children Everyone, are our future. Read, read When Millennials Rule. It's a guide uh, for survival for old people when in the, robot millennials <laughs> in the internment camps over. that uh, the Khan administration <laughs> would put us into. Jack and David Khan with a C, thanks for being our Jews of the Week. Thanks, right. Rock on, guys. There's only one kind of dance, the robot. Oh, and the robo. Oh, and the rope. Two kinds of dances. But there are no more humans. Finally, robotic beings rule the world. The humans are dead. All right, time for our world-famous feature, Gentile of the Week. Our Gentile this week is Gauravani. Gaurav was born in Los Angeles to parents living as monks at the Hare Krishna Temple. He went to India when he was six, began studying at traditional temple school where he learned sacred music. He's now a multidisciplinary artist best known for performing mantra music, a musical practice based on kirtan, the ancient call and response practice from India's devotional traditions. Um, He now lives in Washington, D.C., but he tours all over and he's talking to us from the West Coast. Welcome. Thank you. Happy to be here. Uh, really good to have you on Unorthodox. So, first of all, sort this out for us. You were raised in the Hare Krishna tradition. Do you still identify as, as a Hare Krishna? I do. I should actually say that technically I'm not a Gentile because my mom and dad are both from Jewish origin. Ah, we had no idea. So, You're a second Jew of the week, <laughs> but you are kind of gentilic also. We're such a Jewy show that even our Gentile of the week is a Jew. I mean, it's crazy. So that's interesting. You just said they're of Jewish origins, but you don't say that they're Jews. Well, because I, I really don't know. I, I probably know what any normal American might know about 
Judaism and Jews, from media, or just from kind of, you know, osmosis, cultural osmosis. It's so perfect, by the way, right, that, like, of course we find a Hare Krishna, and like all people who turn toward Eastern religion in the 60s, your parents were Jews. Of course, <laughs> of course you are. I mean, we're going to go out and find a Buddhist next week, and he's going to be Jewish, right? I, I think there's a deep, you know, culture of, of questioning and wrestling with, with deep questions, and, and, you know, that pushed a lot of people into a deep journey and i think at the time it was not so easy to find answers to those questions in judaism at least you know the way it was you know in the 60s in the u.s i know um more about um being being a Hare krishna kid than i know about judaism i'm learning about judaism as i you know meet people in the world and 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 share my practice and, and i get to learn more about theirs i I just know so little. Speaking of learning, um, you went to, to a, a music school in India, which really sounds to me like the absolute coolest thing a person could do. What was that like? Well, I was really young at the time. I st- I've, st- I've been going to India. I go every year. I usually take one of my kids with me. I have three kids. You know, I, when I first went to India, I was six. When, and, uh, you know, 1982 in rural India, it was another planet. It was it was fascinating. There was you know one phone in the area. You know, um, every everything was by rickshaw or horse drawn cart. Yeah, it was beautiful. I mean, Vrindavan, the town that I went to school in, is a temple town. There are hundreds of temples. Every corner, every you know, every shop has a little altar. It's it's now much more urbanized. Is it is a temple town like a college town in America? It's <laughs> so like a bunch of temple bars and cool coffee yeah. shops. Yeah. So tell us a little bit about Kirtan. I have to say, t- my dad is very into it right now. He is like all about Kirtan. So I was Ju- very excited. Because Jews love Kirtan, apparently. It's yeah, well, Jews and Kirtan. Clearly. Yeah. So could you tell us a little bit about it? it? Well, yeah, sure, sure. Um, so uh, Kirtan, basically it means, it's a Sanskrit, uh, Sanskrit word, which basically means praise music. And... Basically, it's a call-and-response chanting practice. Um, in its roots, it comes from India, and it's primarily taking names of God and um, repeating them in you know poetic and rhythmic ways, can, different melodies. Can you teach us some? Can you teach us some right now? Is there anything we could do we would on the love air? That. Sure. Let's do it. Okay. Okay. Um, here's one I do with. Uh, with a group that I play with called the Hanuman. Um, so the words are Govinda Hare. Can you guys say that? Govinda, Govinda Hare. Hare. Gopala Hare. Gopala Hare. Hey Prabhu. Hey, hey Prabhu. Dina Dayala Hare. Dina Dayala Hare. So um, I'll tell you what it means in a second. How about that? Okay. Yeah. We'll okay. Just, uh, Much better. Okay. So, Let's do it. Um, Govinda Hare, you sing. Govinda Hare, Gopala Hare, Gopala Hare, He Prabodina, He Prabodina. Dayala Hare. Dayala Hare. 
I like that. So, uh, yeah. Okay. Nice job, Shabbat guys. melody there. Wonderful singers. Yeah, thank you. You're like, I'm never teaching these Jews how to do this again. <laughs> this does, I have to say, this does sort of resonate the call and right, response. Right, it kind of like, sounds like a like I love. You know, we know, we know from that. Yeah, you know, we, we, it's, it seems very, but like if you're in a, temp, if you're in a synagogue, they'll say something and then the and crowd then says something. Yeah. And we don't then, repeat the same thing. but there's Sometimes more, we do. Well, well, first you, of all, you, do, you, do, you, do you want to tell us what, what we just sang? <laughs> sure. So one of the fascinating things about this mantra is that, you know, we have kind of the metaphor that, that of the shepherd, um, Judaism and Christianity, of taking care of the flock, you know, um, guiding and leading us to, you know, sweet pastures. So in, in this practice, we have God as a cowherd. Uh, Krishna is a name for God. And Govinda Hare, Gopala Hare, one who cares for the cows and protects the cows. Hey Prabhu, um, oh, oh Lord, Dina Dayala Hare, that you bring peace and solace to those who are in the most difficult place. Nice. It's a very simple song. Amen. So we've talked before about things sort of like Havdala Yoga, which is something that some temples do. It fuses Jewish ritual with Eastern tradition. I mean, where do you fall on on, on the melding of cultural practices? Uh, there's a there's a there's a priest, a Catholic priest, pretty well known in Francis Clooney. I don't know if you've ever spoken with him on your program. He's a big scholar of of Indian traditions, and you know, especially what's called bhakti or the traditions of devotion in India to Krishna. And I asked him this question because, you know, he spends a lot of time studying. And for me, you know, I'd like to simplify things. And and the way I see it is that God loves everyone. And if you're doing something that's bringing you closer to God's love, then how could that be a bad thing? Gora, thank you so much for being our Gentile of the Week. We're out of time, but um, you got up super we feel early enlightened. for us, and we feel and like you feel amazing. Us, you give us a chance to sing. Like we don't sing enough on this show, or maybe we sing too much. But thank you for. No, joining. I like the chanting. And that was that was nice. You know, you know what, brother? I'm going to tell you something. Like you might be our Gentile of the Week, but you're all Jew to us. <laughs> well, you know, I want to I want to make sure that I take a chance to invite you guys to. Chant for Change, which is a multi-denominational chant event on the steps of the Lincoln Memorial on October 8th. October 8th, 2016, um, right a month before yeah. the presidential election. So, I mean, is it about the election or is it just coincident? You know what? It's about depoliticizing our kind of consciousness and and kind of bringing us back to that dialogue about who we are as a greater family. Amen. And your new album is called The Hanuman, and that's the name of your band as well, right? Uh, the name of the band is Hanuman. The most recent record is called Leaps and Bounds. You can get it on iTunes or Spotify or Pandora or wherever. Sweet. All right. Thanks so much. Take care. We'll talk to you again. From the mailbox this week, a faithful correspondent writes, Hello, I'm still running behind on listening to the podcast, so I'm a bit late in responding to Mark's double feature movie escapade. No, you're not. Go ahead. Yes, you should have paid for both movies, but I would have felt better about it if you'd paid to see Bad Moms and got a freebie on Jason Bourne. It's hard enough to get movies made with any female leading roles. If the few that get made don't do better at the box office than Guy Flicks, the studios won't have a whole lot of incentive to make more of them. That's a great point. Yeah. <sighs> 
time. So again, you, like, you glass you glass ceiling Mila Kunis. You know, I did not mean to glass ceiling. You Mila, gave Mila Kunis in a movie 70, about moms. Seventy cents on Matt Damon's ten million dollars. Uh, that was from Shelley Cohen. Shelley, I did not mean to glass ceiling Mila Kunis. I apologize about that. Another letter. Hey, Mark, I'm a middle-aged woman with no kids, and I'm a big fan of unorthodox. I felt your comments about people regretting not having children were insensitive and judgy. When the guest said you can think what you want, but you can't say it, you responded by saying, as public intellectuals, it's our job to ask the hard questions. But here's the thing, Mark. No one needs a public intellectual to state what the entire world screams at you every day. Yours wasn't the brave voice for stating what 99% of humanity thinks. Although this judgment exists for men, being a woman without children is a bigger issue. For childless women in particular, people are always asking, why don't you have children? Because what kind of woman doesn't have children? What's your purpose if not to be a mother? My reasons are my own, too personal to get into, so usually I tell people a lie or it's none of your business. But here are some possibilities. Maybe I'm impotent and can't afford or don't want fertility treatment. Maybe I have a precarious mental health condition and no child rearing could be disastrous. Maybe I'm a carrier for a deadly disease. Whatever it is, the choice is extremely personal and it's extremely difficult. And you, Mark, have no way of knowing what the reasons are. And so you can't know if someone will regret it or not. I guess from a philosophical point of view, you could always make the argument, like in the butthole surfer's song, Sweat Loaf, that it's better to regret something you have done than something you haven't. But we all know that's not true. For example, murder. Anyway, I was shaking with rage when you said it, but I've calmed down now and still really appreciate all the work you guys do on the podcast. Please don't use my name, but you can read the letter. Shabbat Shalom. I, we stand with you. you. I did Mark, not, nobody Mark, needs a public intellectual. Server. I was yeah. really just trying to make the point. So first of all, I apologize for being judgy. I really was trying to make the point that I think a lot of people with children feel, having had children, that they wish that experience for other people. As a dog owner, I wish the dog owning experience on other people. As someone who's had romantic love, I wish that experience on other I mean, isn't it normal to wish the things that give you I meaning? wish on other people what other people wish on themselves, Mark. Do you really feel that way? Yeah, no, I, a I, thousand think, percent. I think the difference is you crossed into, in stating that opinion, you crossed into like a really, really trenchant cultural place, right? Like, I don't think you meant it to be judgy because I know you and I know you're not a particularly judgy person, but I get that that is sort of how it came out. I'm, I mean, it could be that I'm actually a worse person than Liel, who says he really just wishes other people whatever they want. You don't, you don't, what there's if nothing... what they want is like a personalized gender pronoun? That's perfectly In fun. Hebrew. <laughs> I have no problem with that's that. And it, by the way, and if that's what they prefer to be called as, that's exactly what I'll call them. I have zero problem with that on the personal level. A final letter. Dear Unorthodox, recently I was diagnosed with breast cancer and subsequently had a mastectomy. Thank God my surgery went well and the follow-up test results have all been negative, so no chemo or radiation for me. The cancer is all gone, and I'm very, very lucky. During the early part of the four weeks I spent at home recovering, when I was too tired and in pain even to read or really do much of anything, your podcasts were the perfect means of escape. It's going to sound corny, but I cannot overestimate the comfort of listening to your familiar voices, keeping me abreast, ha, of the news of the Jews, hearing your insights, listening to the guest interviews, and having 45 engaging minutes to think about something else. Thanks, by the way, for interviewing Christopher Knoxon. Once I was able to concentrate long enough to pick up a novel, plus one filled the bill nicely. And now that I'm back commuting to work and taking walks at lunchtime, I'm once again eager for Thursday mornings when I can download the latest on episode of Unorthodox and listen for the combination of snark and substance that you all so engagingly and enthusiastically provide. Cancer listened to us and Cancer was like, no. No, no. I, I, I don't, like I don't, out. I don't yeah. want any of that. Thanks so much. Truly, Shoshana Bat Yochevet. P.S. Please remind the ladies over 40 to get their mammograms. Ashkenazic Jews in particular are at risk. Early detection quite literally saved my life, and it can save others too. 
Thanks. Shoshana Bat Yocheved, we wish you Rafua Shlema. Thank you for writing. Thank we're you. Thank you. And Cancer, if you ever fucking come back, you're dealing with us. You're dealing with us. And we're going to bring the Khan brothers in as well. And they will millennium. And Ari Nagel. <laughs> That's the kind of talk that keeps Cancer that away. keeps Cancer away. <laughs> you heard? All right. Uh, any Mazel Tovs this week, Liel? I would like to extend a hearty Mazel Tov to... Uh, TV star, uh, beloved actress, and former unorthodox guest, Catherine Hahn, for her amazing turn in Bad Moms, oh, which so I've just seen. So good. And Catherine, we love you, and come back, and everyone go see Bad Moms right now, and pay for it, unlike <laughs> Mark Oppenheimer. <laughs> I'm still getting shit for having sneaked. As well, you yeah, should. My dad, my dad called it stealing. It, I'm, it's like speeding. It's like going 65. It questionable really morals. resonated with people. Yeah. Some people, like, honestly... No disagreement here. I, ju I just I could have thought this through and paid for the movie that started two hours later, and they would have given me a ticket and gone. I could have gone through anyway. I just didn't think it through that well. I was so excited. The frisson, the adrenaline, the erotic charge of the fact that I was about to go to two movies for the price of one clouded my judgment. <laughs> and, and I went erotic that, charge. That does, Let's never discuss this that's, again. That does charge him erotically. <laughs> the erotic charge is the well, only one you paid that oh. night, huh? Oh God. Um, Stefan. My Mazel Tov again goes to Ibdi Muhammad, who won a freaking bronze medal at the Olympics uh, with the women's U.S. women's saber team. And I used to fence. I know how hard it was. I tried saber for a bit. I couldn't cut it. I couldn't hack it. What you were uh, a pay? I was foil. Foil. Right. I, I think we should make. I think we should make her president. I am right. saying I'm proud of that that saber team. I'm I'm proud of that saber team too. I I should take this moment to say that my college friend Emily Jareel won a silver medal about 12 years ago in modern pentathlon. Do you guys know what that is? Yes, because my college boyfriend did modern pentathlon. Is what that what you guys called it? <laughs> it I, it was my rebellious phase. He was also a Republican. What was what's modern pentathlon? It's, it's five five pentathlon. Yes. It's well, we met on the fencing team, and he was just doing it for the pentathlon. It's shooting. Swimming, running, biking, or horse? No. It's horseback. Horses, riding. horses are involved, and it's fencing. It's Basically, insane. it is the Republican sport. It's <laughs> it's golf, yeah, fencing, it's skeet shooting, slapping the poor, <laughs> uh, stealing from children, and estate tax planning. Right, exactly. Our met Love it. Like a scene out of the birdcage. Oh my god! Nice '90s reference. There, Thank you. Someone me. else made it first. Well done. Uh, my Mazel Tov this week is to breaststroker Lily King for calling out the roid-addled dope queen Yulia Efimova and saying that the twice-caught Russian rival should not even have been allowed to compete. I thought that was just awesome. And I just want to say that along with Simone Manuel, 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 they are my two crushes of the 2016 Olympics. They were just wonderful, both of them. And they're like a combined 16 years old. No, they're at least 20 combined. I know, they were just amazing. I was so proud. And Lily King was just like, yeah, she shouldn't be allowed to. It was just this pure... It. it was just like, why should she be here? She's a big cheater, which is exactly the way to respond to it, right? There was no sort of, oh, she's... Because then Efimova's response was, I already served my time. I've moved on. She's so young. She doesn't understand that, like, you move on, you let things go. And King's like, no, you're a big, cheaty, cheaterstein. You shouldn't be here, which is exactly the Wait, way I felt Jewish? about it. It's German. I got to attack on a mo an Olympic Mazel Tov to my main man, Ben Cohen, who's been in Rio for, like, 25 days and now. And has been producing great and stuff. And is not back for another huh? week, so... <laughs> It's so writing while really I nice mentioned my college boyfriend, I feel like I should just like throw some, <laughs> throw some love to the PC. other Olympian, Ben Cohen, <laughs> my, my true gold medalist. Unorthodox is brought to you by Tablet Magazine on the web at tabletmag.com. It is edited this week by Rachel Jacobs and produced by Alyssa Goldstein. Rabbinic supervision by Fivish Finkel. 
We miss you, sir. Who's waiting for his bodily resurrection in the world to come. Kosher Slaughtering is by... Who's it by this Paul week? Paul Manafort. Manafort. <laughs> Uh-oh, is me and Leanne are on the same page. <laughs> by American Trader. The, the movie of his life will be American Trader, Paul Manafort, who has a very lucrative gig waiting for him back in Ukraine. Our website is tabletmag.com. Follow Tablet on the Facebook or on Twitter at tabletmag. Our music is by Golem, and we record at the elegantly appointed Argo Studios in New York City. Shalom, friends. <laughs>